BAFTA creates platforms for open debate, and so the views expressed in this programme are only those of the contributors. Welcome to the BAFTA podcast, a roundup of what we've been up to for the past month. I say we, I mean BAFTA. I'm not part of BAFTA, I'm just standing here, doing what they say, like a bitch. Well, that's the voice of Charlie Brooker there, and more of him later. I'm Dave Green, and welcome to our podcast, looking at some of BAFTA's recent webcasts and events. This month, I'm hoping the theme's going to be comedy, how to make it, how to get noticed, and how to stand up to TV executives when they meddle with your genius vision. That's all coming up, just as soon as I find out how to stop this music. Ah, that's better. It's annual lecture season here at BAFTA, where we ask significant figures from film, TV and games to share their thoughts on what's really going on in those industries. It all kicked off with Armando Iannucci, who you'll probably know as the writer, director and producer of everything from Alan Partridge to The Thick of It and more. We've got three people here from the comedy industry, each with different responsibilities in production, to give their reactions. First off, he's the chair of the BAFTA TV committee and as a comedy commissioner at Channel 4, greenlit some of the biggest shows of the past decade. Now he's back on the production side as Chief Executive of Objective Productions. It's Andrew Newman. Uh, Hello. Hi, Andrew. Uh, Andrew, could you remind us of some of the programmes you've commissioned Um, over the years? Well, as a commissioning editor, I commissioned Ali G, um, the 11 o'clock show, things like that. And then later as head of entertainment and comedy, peep show, in between us. Friday Night Project, uh, 8 out of 10 cats. I also set up E4, so uh, Banzai, Big Brother's Little Brother. So some comedy things and some things which were inadvertently funny. And actually also Charlie Brooker's uh, Dead Set and Charlie was uh, a writer on 8 out of 10 cats and the 11 o'clock show. So. Oh, m- many, many happy evenings yeah, there. I don't know. He normally talks about commissioners like they are basically stupid, so I don't know what I should... Uh, take from that well we'll we'll, we'll, we'll come on to that um, next up and, and representing comedy writers is Kevin Cecil who won a BAFTA for Black Books and has written for Spitting Image Smack the Pony Little Britain Armstrong and Miller Gnomeo and Juliet and many more Kevin uh, what are you working on at the moment we're writing the sequel to Gnomeo and Juliet which is uh, Gnomeo and Juliet to Sherlock Gnomes <laughs> find the pun make the film wow. <laughs> and, and, and you've also done a bit of script editing I have done script editing, yeah. I script edited the last series of Watson and Oliver, uh, and I'm script editing um, a new series for BBC Three, which actually I'm not allowed to talk about. And also a really good pilot that the Dawson Brothers made um, called the uh, Dawson Brothers Fun Time. Cool. And is that like, I mean, actually, we don't know if that'll still be on iPlayer now, but... Uh, oh, it's on the internet somewhere. <laughs> And finally, to, to complete the trio and represent up-and-coming uh, new writers, Kaylee Llewellyn, a writer and actor who recently won the BAFTA Rockcliffe New Writing Forum Initiative. Um, well, congratulations for that. Thank <laughs> on you that, very much. On that, Kaylee. Oh, yeah, like, can, can, you, can you tell us a bit about what, what you won? What I won? Well, the BAFTA Rockcliffe, I suppose the main purpose of it is that we will be taken to the New York Television Festival, uh, which is in October. Um, so it's just this amazing platform. We go for a week, along with there was three winners in total, so the two other people as well. One of the main things that happens is that our an extract of our script will be performed on stage in front of very influential people, which is really exciting. But we also get to meet and network and spend a lot of time with various people that possibly without this I would have never even got in the same room with. And I'll now get a chance to be introduced to and talk to and, and big up my script a bit. 
And and New York, presumably, that the natural home of of the sitcom. People people will be applauding you just as soon as you walk in the room. Well, I hope so. That's what I'm hoping for. If it doesn't happen, I'll be pretty cheesed off. Oh, well, well, <laughs> let's best of luck with that. And uh, well, welcome everybody. Uh, let's. Well, uh, moving on to uh, Armando's uh, annual lecture. You can hear the whole speech online, but uh, we've we've got a few uh, select clips to listen to and uh, get your reactions. First of all, I think this uh, this is uh, pretty key to Armando's message. It's a rousing defence of comedy writers and producers in the face of executives who think they know better than they do. Separating broadcasters from programme makers gave those broadcasters a power that has grown and grown so that at times it becomes a form of diktat as to what the content should be. We want an animated sketch show about teenage car crash victims. We're looking for more dramas about superhero weathermen fighting permafrost. We're after a sassy late-night antique show. We want a multi-ethnic quiz hosted by an Indian Amanda Burton. Too often, the commissioning executive became the chief creative officer behind any show. The one coming up with the title, insisting on the key cast, determining the format, imposing hardline notes on the script, influencing the edit. Very often the producers and key creative talent became the suppliers, the contracted creative labour used to bring the commissioner's project to completion. So, Andrew, you've been on both sides of, of this commissioning process. I mean, do you feel that Armando had a fair point there? I think he did and he didn't really. I think there are good commissioners and bad commissioners and I don't think many of them say we really need superhero weathermen but if they do then obviously that's slightly over prescriptive and bonkers but you know I have been worked on shows before I was a commissioner in production something you know Brass Eye or something like that Chris Morris would obviously have a complete vision for what he wanted to do and people would tinker with that at their peril but other shows are perhaps made slightly more collaboratively with the broadcaster I don't know that you can say that any commissioning editor is always stupid. I think some make programmes better, some make programmes not as good. Commissioners are perhaps more aware of, I don't know, what they've got coming down the pipeline, so they might go, oh, actually, you know, it would be good to have a show that's a bit more like this. Actually, some shows, sometimes the commissioner does say, we want something like this, and I've worked on both types of things. So something like uh, Smack the Pony that Kevin wrote for was something done with... Channel 4 and talk back, sort of coming up with the idea together. I think the original idea for Smack the Pony came from Channel 4 going, oh, we've got lots of stuff. But at that time, it was all a bit blokey. And perhaps in a almost cynical and crass way, they went, we need a show for girls. Let's do a sketch show with girls. Or perhaps in a more creatively liberating way, they went, let's do a show that's got some of the best female performers because they're not getting on TV as much. Either way, the end show had a sense of authorship, it had really good people in it, it had good people writing for it, and it was a good show. I don't think, Armando, I mean, clearly this is a provocative statement that, that might not apply to all commissioners. I mean, Kevin, you're, you're usually working with, uh, with producers, so they're getting that feedback, but are, are there times when you feel you've had useful direction from commissioning editors? Yeah, well, I mean, sometimes you need a nudge. And also, Armando's worked, I think partly his experiences, work from trying to make um, in the thick of it in America first of all for a, like a major network which went badly wrong and you do get even more interference there where they'll go all right 
we're just going to have girl sitcoms on Friday nights and everything else just gets kicked out of the corner. But then it's so vicious in America and it's so ratings-led that it's quite hard. It, it kind of depends. There's only probably, like, at any time, you know, two or three people at the top of TV comedy who can make the decisions about whether the shows get on or not. Maybe half a dozen. And so if their taste all kind of coincides, they all decide, well, we don't like dark comedy now or we don't like blokey comedy or whatever or we don't like topical comedy then you can have quite a problem where everything gets quite samey whereas you know ideally you want the best things on and you want things to be a mix it always used to be quite funny listen andrew but you always had this situation where you'd go into channel four and people would say you could say anything to them or like you'd suggest someone to be in their show and they could say the words but is it channel four or but are they channel four which could stop any argument and and there was no answer to that there was no and it really meant no they're not and in the end it turned out that who was channel four was noel edmonds so um <laughs> so what i find is you get like a diktat will come down we need blue collar comedy and it's not as specific as armando was saying because he's exaggerating for effect but they'll say oh we need everything blue collar or we need everything like this we need audience shows that are blue collar audience shows and you spend two years writing one and then they launched one and it was a disaster or it was a success and therefore they've got one and then they're on to something else so you sort of have to the skill i think is probably of real producers is to just work out what they want next. We were very lucky with, we wrote a sitcom on spec called The Great Outdoors because we always wanted to do a thing about a walking club and never knew that anyone would buy it or even whether we'd actually get through it, whether it would actually work. And we did it and it was a very difficult idea to sell because it didn't seem that commercial. But then it turned out the BBC4 had a season coming up about the outdoors. And so we were able to kind of slip it in that way and it worked for them and it worked for us. So when it works is when you're doing something and they find they want it and you want it too. Kaylee, I mean, I don't know if you've got as, as much experience of this. I mean, do you feel that like, I mean, certainly if you had an idea that you want to get on TV, do you feel that there's pressure on you to shape it like uh, to, for, for a particular channel or commissioner? Yeah, obviously I have nowhere near as much experience on this front as, as these guys do. But certainly with the first script that I've written, Grey, which just so happens to be the script that has won the BAFTA Rockcliffe, We'd sent that out to a few different people before we entered it for that for this competition. And certainly, based on that experience alone, I did notice quite a bit of feedback coming back, not necessarily on the script as itself, but changes that they were suggesting we made to the concept as a whole. The script itself is about a group of older women, ranging between 68 and 81, who go on a road trip together. And that is what we want it to be about. And the one thing, varying feedback that we've, we've had given to us, but the one thing that keeps standing out is that people keep suggesting or asking that we work in a young character, possibly a teenager, or if not that, that one of the women needs to bring their husband along with them for that extra dynamic. But from our point of view, we're just kind of like, why? We want to tell you a story about older female friendships and their emancipation. Why do I need a teenager to tell that story? Why did the audience as a whole need to see another teenager on screen? We've got in between us. We've got girls. Let's talk about some more women. And and that's what we want to do. Well, and and this is this is to everyone, I guess. Is it hard to go back to the channel and say, no, I think you're wrong. We really need to make this the, the, the way that, that we want to. And I guess that's a relationship that you have to develop over time. I think and, if it's your first work. thing, it's hard. But if you're Armando Anucci, 
It's not so hard. I mean, if you're Peter Kay, I could give, when I was at Channel 4, Peter Kay any sort of notes. And he'd go, yeah, that sounds good. None of them really happened. Um, <laughs> and he was probably right. Uh, so I, I think it's about a collaborative thing. And sometimes I think that there is... The writer and their vision should be king in some ways, but sometimes the commissioner will know things that they you don't in terms of what they're trying to second-guess their boss. I think where commissioning can sometimes go wrong is when people try and do something that's a bit like something else that's just been a success and hope that, that, that therefore that's a success. Actually, it might be better sometimes to go, well, we've already got one of them. And most of them have got to be commissioners by working on comedy shows and somebody thinking they're good. So... I wouldn't well, say luckily, that. Luckily, someone got to their job without working on any comedy shows or any TV whatsoever. Um, Possibly, the, yeah. I don't know. Most no, of them. No, most of them. Most of them. <laughs> most of them. Some of them are very. Um, That's good. Well, let, 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 let's not name any names. Ken. No, so, so, yeah, so, obviously, the, none of us want to name any names. That, well, so, well, immensely well, powerful and uh, vindictive. Oh, but, um, <laughs> I don't know. I do think that it just also depends what channel you're on. You know that thing of are they Channel Four? I don't know. It, it, there may be Noel Edmonds. Noel Edmonds is on in the daytime show. It's not like they went, our new Friday night youth star is Noel Edmonds. It was, I think Channel 4's no, always had this thing. He's not doing the million pound drop. But, no, but that was no, the thing of he's in daytime, ago. they've always yeah. done something slightly different. Channel is an interesting place because, you know, lots of shows don't make any money. A lot of them will be comedy shows because they're really expensive to make. They don't get any subsidy from the government. So they need populist things to pay for the more experimental things. So a lot of the shows that we all like probably get one and a half million viewers maximum. If they cost £250,000 to make an episode, which narrative comedy does, that loses the channel money. It will make less money from ad sales on the basis of that audience than it will cost to make. So it's important that there's some sort of balancing of the books and actually they have to do deal or no deal with Noel Edmonds because that's a big populist thing that is the engine for making the cash to pay for Peep Show or um, Black Books. Just to give a bit of a voice uh, to the commissioning heads uh, in the conversation, also at BAFTA, there's been a number of, uh, of breakfasts where comedy executives come and like, uh, mm. talk, talk about the sort of thing uh, they're looking for. We've got a clip here of Gregor Sharp talking about his plans for BBC One. Give, give this a listen and see, see if you'd be tempted to pitch for it. The key commissioning opportunities for us are currently on BBC One, where we're always looking for amazingly funny, new, vibrant, big comedy characters that can be at the centre of a, a sitcom along the lines of the great tradition of sitcom characters. Like currently we have Miranda, Mrs Brown on BBC One, and that list goes right back through Steptoes, through Faulty, through Del Boy. We're always looking for characters that are funny, that can engage audiences at that level. So there's always a thirst for new content on one, and we're looking for smart, sophisticated family shows, maybe single camera and execution that can play alongside those big studio laugh-out-loud comedies. So I would say BBC One is where the best current opportunities lie. Kevin, does, does that inspire you? Is that like... Or is, is that... I don't know, is that sufficiently general for you to turn up with any project that you feel strongly about? I think so. I mean, there's a different sensibility. I think BBC One have got... Miss Brown's Boy's done very well there. Obviously, Miranda is a show that started on... BBC Two was a huge hit straight out of the blocks uh, and is now going to BBC One. I'm sure we'll, we'll grow and grow. And then I suppose the other sort of show that they're talking about is more your kind of outnumbered show. I, don't, I can't really argue 
with what they're saying. It seems, you know, I, I like, you know, I worked on Black Books. I like studio sitcoms when they work. Kaylee, like, would you feel that, that that could sum up what you're working on? Would you have to change change it to fit? I mean, do you see yourself on BBC One? Yeah, certainly. Um, I'd like to be on BBC One. Yeah, the script that I'm working on right now absolutely would fit what what he's just described. But it it wasn't extremely specific either. It wasn't, you know, like the examples that Amanda used were very extreme. It was nothing as bad as that. So I suppose, yeah, something like that is a bit easier to go you've got more of a free reign to be creative and it's more pushing you in a certain direction rather than going, this is what we need. And there's there's more from other commissioning editors uh, on the website, which you can find at www.bafta.org slash guru. Now, the time was that the only way to get into comedy writing, particularly at the BBC, was to work your way through a non-commissioned sketch show like Weekend on, on Radio 4. Look, look, look at Kevin's phone. That's not how you got started, was it, Andrew? Well, we, we can come back to that. Uh, so these were places where anyone could walk in off the street and, and, uh, and suggest a, an idea if it was any good. And sometimes, even when it wasn't, you'd get a credit on the radio and a cheque for about £20. Clearly, times have changed. We don't have Weekending anymore. And we've got the internet instead. Armando picked up on this in the second part of his lecture. The ability to go out and create off your own bat means that actually there's now no excuse. If you want to become a member of the creative industry within television, there is now nothing stopping you uh, in terms of going out and being able to enact your ideas. Now, obviously, some things take a little bit of money and uh, need a little bit of support and financial backing. But the ability to uh, grab people, especially if what you make is good, I think is now greater. So, Andrew, uh, is your office much tidier now that people can send you just a, a link in the email rather than a, a DVD or a VHS? Or um, No, but I think it is true that you can get your stuff distributed through the internet. And, you know, there's different types of comedy shows. I suppose there's a lot of truth in what Amanda says, that there's no reason if you are creative and you've got a good idea, you can put it on the internet. I suppose the problem with that is that there is so much on the internet that it can it get any sort of cut through and get noticed and also some types of shows and some types of sketches and things will suit that medium so something like phone jacker you could absolutely do that yourself animate it put it online something like fresh meat would be much harder so i think it's horses for courses it's great for things like midnight beast to come through the internet i don't think it will be the way that everybody comes through i think now the stand-up scene also is so vibrant that you can relatively easily go and do open mic spots work up to 10 minutes and you know there's not a huge cost of entry to that if you want to do something that's a little bit more comedy drama then that's probably not the way to go but it's certainly a way to go and someone who agrees with you is uh, is again charlie brooker this is his views on getting noticed by broadcasters if i was starting out now i'd be trying to make short films i think and and put them on youtube or something everyone does that but you might the you know and and the first ones you make will be dreadful but eventually you'll get good at it and in terms of writing and things like that i think it's always good if you've done something that you can show to people so what i was doing quite by accident it wasn't a sort of career move I was just doing it kind of to amuse myself but it meant that I built up a portfolio of work I was doing something simple that I was updating regularly and that's the other thing I always say to people think of something simple you can do that shows off your talent update it regularly and you've got something you can show it to people because people in TV they're always looking for nice nice great new original things it's very hard to find them 
and they don't have the it's not they don't have the imagination but they need to see it do you know what I mean you can't just expect people to give you a job and if you've built you know a backlog of stuff you've done it's always worth doing always worth having something to show people and also you've had the experience of doing it so that's Charlie Brooker in his big questions video on the BAFTA Guru website. So, Kaylee, I mean, what kind of were you looking into the internet before you won the the Rockcliffe competition? Yeah, definitely. Moving into script writing as a whole has been very recent for me, but before that, I just sort of knew that I wanted to be writing all of the time. So, for me, that was kind of social networking. So, all day, every day, I would be tweeting or writing little comic scenes that I'd post as my Facebook status and I had a blog and things like that and which was great and it is brilliant as a creative output and it really allowed me to hone my skill in a way even though no one with any power was reading it I was getting an idea of how best to deliver a punchline and how best to write comedy so that it has the most sort of comic impact you know and that was brilliant and I did get a little following there are a few people who were like yeah as soon as I go on the internet I, I want to see what you've said I think it's hilarious that's brilliant for my ego boost every day but it is capped at about 50 people and they're just like my mate's mother they're not someone who's gonna make a tv show out of it so I think for me yes it, it helped me become a better writer but I don't know if that alone was ever gonna make me a career I was never going to take over the world one Facebook friend request at a time and I think it, it's finding that way through from the one platform of just making work that a few people watch to making it a success and I think it's a lot easier if maybe you're a singer for example like the Jesse J Justin Bieber route you can get a camera sing a song put it on YouTube and if you're good people will watch but me if I wanted to do a comedy drama or a sketch show I need actors, I need a camera, I need someone who knows how to operate that camera, someone who knows how to edit footage, costumes, props. And yes, it is doable with enough drive, but the logistics that go into it are so much more difficult. So, um, Kevin, I mean, do you, do you find that, like, so you're working with people who've, who've come up through the internet. Is there, yeah. is there anything they've all, they've all got in common? Or No, I don't know about all got in common, because that's the whole point, isn't it? You're looking for people with different skills. Obviously, it's a lot easier for writer-performers, but then people will be learning an important lesson early on, which is everything is much easier for writer-performers. But, um, <laughs> the uh, yeah, I mean, we on, on Fun Time, we worked with Chris... You know, everyone was very talented on it, but Chris Kendall, who's Crab Sticks on YouTube, and also Jenny Bede, who does great, funny songs. But Chris Kendall, he's, he makes his living off his YouTube channel. Now, to me, that's as exotic as I live off mining moon rocks but he actually does do it he actually has enough people who watches him that he gets the ad revenue or however they do it the micro money and he buy toilet roll with it and that's amazing but people will come through you know if you've got a twitter account and it's really well branded and it's really funny like something like sick form poet or there's a bunch of other ones then yeah you people will notice and i know that writers have been Rob Delaney, lots, some writers in America have done very well. There's people have been talking about various writers being hired onto, onto various sitcoms through their Twitter accounts. Obviously, it doesn't really teach you narrative. And there is a point where, you know, to write a sitcom, you know, even if you're good on Twitter, well, there are some people who are so good on Twitter that I sort of think I've been encouraging them. You know, you could easily you could go and work on eight out of ten cats. You could go and work for Jonathan Ross and be a really really good joke writer. You can't see from that that someone could write fresh meat. No, you can't because you have to write a script. You know, like Hayley did. You have to get down there. The internet and social media 
yeah, it's a, it's a really good learning thing, and it's also a, a distraction. So, so do <laughs> do kids do do it to learn your jokes and then turn it off for, for six months, or just make sure that you're learning other things as well, because it's not going to teach you how to structure a scene. It's not going to teach you how to create. It might teach you how to create a comic character, but you know, there's not a lot. I mean, the S H apostrophe T. My dad said. That came from supposedly came from a Twitter account. I mean, it's chicken and egg kind of thing. But and it lasted one season on CBS. But I don't know that there's been any others yet. I was going to say as well. I think um, certainly from the the Twitter account uh, phenomena, like Megan Amram, who's yeah. a American comedian who was completely found from her tweets and now writes for Parks and Recreation, I believe. Yeah. And I think wrote jokes for the Oscars or the Grammys or something like that, which is amazing. And she's hilarious. But it's a very specific type of comedy. She does that sort of one-liners, little punchlines in 140 characters, and that really works for her, those really short snippet jokes. Mm. But if you're somebody who wants to write dialogue and long-form comedy, Twitter's just, you're never, it's never going to be a good way if you It's going to be much harder to work. discover Eddie Izzard, but then he's got sitcom, you know. Yeah, it's going to be it. much harder to discover, yeah, John Morton through this. Yeah. But, you know, you they have to write their scripts, and they have to... Well, I suppose it's on. always been, you know... Uh, Sam and Jesse, who we work with, and they write Peep Show and Oversee Fresh Meat. They started out. Nobody said to them, before they'd done anything else, here, have a half-hour sitcom. There is a sort of slight stepping stone thing that people normally work on contributing sketches to something or they write doing gags for a panel show, and then through that they meet other people at production companies. They might be given a script commission and then if that's good you know I think it is a question of trying lots of things but I think you're completely right about writer performers it's there's lots of ways to mess up sitcoms and if you have the wrong people in them you could have a great script and it doesn't quite fly and with the right performers things can really come to life and actually something like Miranda written down might you wouldn't get what it was going to be without her and her performance and it all coming together as almost more than the sum of its parts. Oh, it's absolutely pixie dust. And absolutely, Miranda's completely walking, that show is completely walking on air. I mean, you know, we worked with her. She's been caster in Hyperdrive. And we knew she was brilliant from the moment she came in to her her first audition. But all the same, you know, I saw early scripts of her show when she was doing it on the radio, and I knew it was at potential, and I knew everything. But I couldn't have predicted that it would be as successful as it was, because it isn't really until she got the other cast mm. and it actually and they filmed it because it isn't the same on the radio because it's all about her and the visual impact and it came together with the right, I'm sure, the, just the right creative team yeah, around it's, it's her. Sort of it just and it's like, it's like a souffle. It just rose yeah, and yeah, it worked. And, and you I'm, can't you can't sort of make one out of. I don't think with other things. I think probably with factual shows or documentaries, to some extent, you can put together something in advance and think it's going to work but with comedy it's, it's really hard to and clearly there's more of an issue there because even if you've got a portfolio on youtube unless you're getting a million hits you still need to get the channel uh, a channel's attention in some way this is a point that uh, bren sarithran made on twitter to us earlier asking how can new writers get their scripts read by producers and commissioners to start off with this is lucy lumsden head of comedy for sky with her thoughts If it's a new writer that we won't know and doesn't have a track record, it's really helpful to have someone be your ambassador. And that's probably going to be a producer that we know and are working with. Or it could be your agent. But 
it, it sort of needs that for us to really seek it out and see, seek it from the rest of the offerings we, we get. Assume we get a lot of scripts, so yours has to leap out from the rest of the pile. No bribes, please. They, they don't work. <laughs> they just annoy us. And don't try and copy. Make sure it's your own voice. Do it your way. Stick to your guns. It's your show. You have to believe in it. Don't try and please us, but do be aware of the channel that you're pitching to. But stick to your guns. Andrew, are you, are you still on the lookout for, for upcoming writers? How, and how do you find them? Yes, we are. I think it's hard. I think it's hard to write a narrative thing if you haven't written one before. But it's easier to write to contribute to a team written thing or a, a, something that's a sketch show with lots of different writers contributing sketches. Yes, we do work with new people. I mean, Channel Four and BBC Three and E Four do commission things from new writers, or there are opportunities on. 8 out of 10 cats where, you know, people put forward jokes and then if they get a few in, then they'll be considered for a more uh, involved role. I think it is quite hard starting out. And that's because there's lots of people wanting to write comedy because there's lots of writers who want to be on the telly. And I think it's a great job. It's hard when you're starting out, but if you get something away then I think it becomes much easier. Kayleigh, I mean, do, do, do you know other writers who've, who've had success in, the, in this sort of area? Or, you know, what's the best advice that you've been given? Well, f- for me, I think I'm in obviously quite a golden position where I am now because it was only a few months of me trying to get scripts read before BAFTA, which was a very slow process and not very successful at all. And then, obviously, I won BAFTA Rockcliffe, which now means that I'm in a position where they are setting up meetings for me with commissioners and producers and, cha- and networks and things like that, which probably before I never would have gotten through the door at all. But other friends I know who have written... One of my good friends is quite a successful writer in continued drama, but I know he's been struggling for a long time to get one of his own scripts commissioned at all, like three or four years, and it still hasn't happened. I, I don't know anyone who's managed to do it. I don't know anyone personally. Kevin, what what worked for you? You you started out radio. You you've been working with uh, with your your long-standing collaborator Andy Viley <laughs> yeah. for, for many decades. But what, 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 we well, did yeah. everything that anyone asked us to do. We just started <laughs> off on the radio, did weekending. We were very lucky. We got on a scheme that the radio did where they paid you six thousand pounds every year, and then you had to earn it back by doing various things. And we had our own show on Radio One called For Knowledge, and then we did. Dance Energy House Party, the <laughs> esteemed comedy show. We were writing links for Normsky. He was very nice. That's good. And, 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 if, image, and, and if, if Armando Yanucci asked you to do we something, did. that's No, like we it. did, yeah. We, then we worked for, uh, on, with Armando on the Armistice. And we also wrote um, with him on the Armando Yanucci shows. And we gradually, hopefully, learned something or other. But uh, that's how we did it. Someone else like John Morton, I know, I think came much more fully formed and was writing half-hour scripts from the off. Sam and Jesse, I remember when they were at LWT trying to sell breadheads, which I'm sure would be on TV eventually. But I don't know whether they did so many sketch shows and things, but probably they just didn't need to because they kind of knew what they were doing a bit quicker. But my advice would be just keep writing to people. There are people that will, you know, there's still Newsjack on the radio that accepts new commissions. Show your scripts to people, write a narrative script, or... You will learn if you do shorter things, and especially if regular. The great thing about doing like topical comedy or, or anything like that, or setting up your own sketch show in a pub or something, is if you do things week after week, you learn what works and what doesn't work, and you learn what works for you. And that you know that's how a lot of the last generation, perhaps, of of sketch show performers 
kind of came through like doing TBA and TBA2 in, in Notting Hill and that's where like Mitchell and Webb and Armstrong and Miller sort of those sort of people sort of came through that but show your scripts to people and don't necessarily agree with what they have to say but if everyone's saying the same thing they might have a point and you can hear the rest of uh, Armando Iannucci's I think mostly inspirational call to arms on the BAFTA website and in uncut form in a podcast So just to wrap up this month, I, I thought we've got a. This is a new quickfire round where people have submitted questions via Twitter, and I'm going to throw them at you. You know, you don't have to buzz in or anything. It's it's, it's not a game show, Kevin. No, this, I have a writer, so make me sound funny. <laughs> does, yeah. does that happen? Is uh, that oh, anyway? Never, never for me. No, never. you've heard me speaking. Obviously not. No, no. So you're funny enough. Um, so Kevin, Kevin, this one. Let, let's say this one's for you. Um, right. K author S twenty one H asks, how long does it take to write a one hour TV comedy? Per writer, presumably that's twice as long as it takes to write a half hour. But I don't know. Well, generally, it, it takes a long time. It takes, say, I don't know, maybe a, a month of kind of two or three weeks plotting it out, and then probably a bit the same time scripting it. But then you've got to rewrite it. So I don't know. I'm going to say a month. But I'm making that up. You're wrong. That, 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 we, we had six weeks here, but yeah, we'll like we'll, we'll let you have that. Now. I think the rewriting is important actually because. Yeah. If you're rewriting it, it normally does get better. Sometimes it may get worse, but it is part of the process. And certainly, the shows we make at Objective go through many drafts. And I don't know. Sometimes that's as a result of notes of the commissioner. Sometimes it's the producer. Uh, but the best writers will themselves want to make it better each time and push it and say it's not quite ready yet. But what do you think? And I think it is important to have your own voice and not to be swayed from what you want to do. But it's probably like making a great film or a great record. If you can listen to what everybody says, and that could be a producer and it could be a commissioner, and then decide to take the bits of that that are right and discard the bits that don't make it better, then it will become better. But I don't know where... I think rewriting, sometimes uh, I see scripts and it's like draft nine or something and uh, that process of refining I think is what often makes great work it's a skill that you learn it's a skill that you learn which is looking at notes and knowing when the 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 eight sensible ones and the two that are going to ruin your script and then it's another skill to be able to go back to the producer and say these are brilliant notes these are really great we just got a little problem with this and this is why and and usually they'll go oh yeah they're fine because because you don't you know when you've I've done both and you know you don't always realise the consequences of what you're saying to people. So uh, carrying on with my quickfire round. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Six <laughs> weeks. It's all no. It's all for it's it's it's. it's yeah, I think I think you're right. Six. It's it's all. You know, like, it's, well, however long it takes you, yeah. Kevin. When it's done, it's done. Uh, so Kaylee, I mean, so Don Murray asks, what what film or TV program has made you laugh the hardest? Recently, recently all time. Can I say two? Can I say please? Girls and also Parks and Recreation. Uh-huh. The last couple of months, they've had me in stitches, both of them. I'm both American, that's sad. I'm, I'm, I'm going to open that up to the pack. You may confer on this one. Um, well, I wouldn't say any that I've been involved in. Oh, uh, do you still find, you not, you not still find them funny? No, I do still find them funny, but it would bit. sound incredibly <laughs> arrogant. And also then other ones that I've been involved in, it would uh, cause some sort of... Uh, you're, diplomatic you're, incident. You can't pick so uh, I would say The Simpsons for being in season twenty or whatever it is, and still being good, and still making me laugh, 
and also being something that I can watch with my kids. A lot of the shows that uh, I'm involved in, I do watch with my kids, but I probably shouldn't say that because they might get taken into care. But <laughs> The Simpsons, I can say quite openly. Uh, Kevin. Kevin. Oh, yeah. I, you know, my, my children are just getting into The Simpsons. It's amazing. And sometimes you watch it, and it's like when you've been at work all day trying to write comedy and you go home and you watch an episode of Simpsons, it's like being given the answers. <laughs> it's like going, okay, this is it. This is how you should have done it. Uh, I'm enjoying Moonboy. Huh? Oh, is it on Sky Atlantic? Yeah. Uh, no, no, it's on Sky, Sky One. One. Oh, it's on Sky oh, it's, um, um, I'm mixing up my, my Sky channels. And, so, yeah, and finally, Mark Bernstein, I'm going to start this off with Andrew. Uh, should all jokes in a show point down the road to the finale, like in Seinfeld or Curb Your Enthusiasm? I think he's saying, does he think that, like, do you think that, that uh, is, that's I, useful or do you think that even happens? In I don't shows? know that it does even happen. Also, I suppose what we've maybe gathered from today is the rules are there are no rules. Some commissioners make things better. Sometimes the writers are completely right. Sometimes notes are good. And I don't think you should say anything too hard and fast. I suspect the mighty Boosh had a very dedicated audience of people who love it. I doubt many of the jokes pointed to the end or even in the same direction as the one before. Just before we go, there's, uh, there's some, some other details that we need to pass on. Kayleigh, how, how, how did you find out about the, the Rockliffe competition? If, if people want to work, because there's more of it in the future. If people yes, want to enter. Um, for me, I follow Chris Addison on Twitter, who was a member of the judging panel, and I just happened to log on a week before the deadline and saw that he tweeted about it and clicked on the link and went from there. That's how I did it. Andrew, do you do you know more about the um, Jesse Armstrong and Sam Bain event that, that's that's coming up? Um, yes, uh, it's on October <laughs> that, that, the tenth. That's good. It's a masterclass where they will be talking about their career and answering questions from the audience, and it's on at BAFTA, and I think it's on. October the 9th or 10th but I'm sure you could find it out is, the is. exact time and date it, 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 on the website it is on the 10th yes yeah. like, and I'm just going to point out there's still tickets left for October's BAFTA and BFI Screenwriters Lecture Series so if you'd like to hear Scott Frank Brian Helgeland or Abby Morgan talk about their art and craft of, of storytelling head over to BAFTA.org for booking details We've also got a masterclass with production designer David Wasco and set decorator Sandy Reynolds Wasco frequent Tarantino collaborators on the 20th of, of October. And outside of London, we're taking this year's BAFTA-nominated short films on tour to Manchester, Bournemouth and Southampton. And if you're interested in children's programming, we're having a chat with the BBC Children's Controllers in Salford on the 18th of October. So again, that's uh, all on BAFTA.org for details. It looks like, look, looks like a, a, a busy month. Which, okay. which, of the, which of those sounds most exciting to you, Kevin? Oh, oh I'll say Sam and Jesse because I know them. <laughs> That's good. What, 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 That'd be good. Go what, would, what, what would you ask Sam, uh, Sam and Jesse? Uh, no, no, I can't think of anything. <laughs> Why can't I write on your shows? <laughs> well, I, I, I imagine uh, you know. I imagine they probably filtered that out of the uh, of the audience questions. <laughs> and uh, I'm afraid that's that's because they'll say because you're too busy doing Romeo and Juliet to Sherlock Gnomes, yeah, and we wouldn't be able to pay you as much as there's David always, Furnish. There's always there's always hours in the night. <laughs> And I'm afraid that's all we've got time for today. Don't forget that all the events we've discussed here are available at bafta.org guru, on soundcloud.com bafta, and the iTunes store. And you can get all the latest news on upcoming BAFTA events by signing up for our fortnightly newsletter on bafta.org. If you've been inspired by any of the topics described in this podcast, or if you have any feedback, please get in touch at podcast at bafta.org. Thanks once again to Andrew Newman, Kevin Cecil, and Kaylee Llewellyn. And my name is still Dave Green. The producer was Matt Hill. 
Don't forget, eventually you're going to have to stop listening to podcasts and go and actually make that thing you're always going on about. Bye. Well, if you enjoyed that, there are loads more big questions on the BAFTA Guru YouTube channel. Just follow the link to the playlist. Why? Because it's packed with inspirational videos from the finest minds in film, TV, video games, that kind of thing. And there's probably just some sort of really lost, lonely people just looking for someone to talk at. And you'll fit the bill, frankly. So do it. Do as I say.